At Dark Hour Haunted House in Plano, Texas, a coven of 13 witches is using your fear to cast a spell of eternal darkness. That's coming up on today's show. From HAN, I'm Philip, and this is day 53 of our 61-day Hauntathon, where we're counting down to Halloween by visiting a different haunted house every day here on the show. Today is Sunday, October 23rd, and there are only eight days until Halloween. Remember that the best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our free weekly industry newsletter at the link in our show notes. Dark Hour Haunted House in Plano, Texas is a 50,000 square foot facility with theme park quality sets and plenty of show control. For those in the haunt industry, it's definitely an iconic venue. Today, we'll explore how director Alan Hopps is creating a unifying brand aesthetic using costuming, story, and show control. Here's Alan. I am Alan Hopps and I'm the creative director for Dark Hour Haunted House. Dark Hour Haunted House is a haunted house in Plano, Texas, and we have a lot, a lot of good haunts in this market and a lot of old haunts in this market. When we came in, we just wanted to be larger in scope and scale. So we are in a 50,000 square foot facility. We have Broadway quality lights, theme park quality sound. We're, we're very high tech and we just try to bring the best possible experience to anybody coming through. The backstory of Dark Hour Haunted House is there's a coven of 13 witches and their entire goal is to bring about one spell called the Dark Hour, which is eternal darkness. It is the world is cast into eternal darkness. And the way that they can make that happen is by building an engine that harnesses people's fear. And that's what you're going through. That's what you're traveling through. So each witch has her own minions and acolytes that she brings to the table. And when you come through Dark Hour, you're gonna travel through 13 different areas and each one is representative of a different witch. And they're all from different areas, they're all from different backgrounds and time periods. There's a nightmare witch from the nightmare realm. There's Annabelle Noir, who is from the 1600s, right before the Salem witch trials. From ancient Egypt, we have the Witch of Swarms. And thing that, that any creatures that gather in a swarm, she can kind of control. So it, it's, it's kind of like the anti-mob. Most monsters and witches are undone by a big mob of people, yeah. but as soon as they swarm up, then she has them too. So there's all kinds of fun things that we can play with. When we have magic, like that lets us do almost anything. There's Baba Lupina, who's the mother of wolves. So there's a, a yeah. I'm a huge werewolf fan, so there's a big werewolf area. It's just that it's all of these different points of fantasy that we're able to explore. And I, I think that's the big deal here at Dark Hour is that we really put you in a space that you wouldn't be in normally. Yeah. Nothing you see here is going to remind you of something in the day-to-day -day world. It's a whole different horror-filled fantasy. That's great. How did you choose the different witches and the different themes for the different areas? When COVID in 2020 happened, mm -hmm. We were given the one thing that every haunter needs, time. I used the gift that I had of time to redesign our entire show. And I actually started with the silhouettes of the 13 witches. That's what I started with. I wanted every witch to have their own silhouette. So if you saw her backlit from 30 feet away, you knew what witch that was and none of them looked alike. Once I had that, it's okay, where are they from? And we got ancient China, we got ancient Norse, we got so many options, American North, indigenous peoples. We have so many cool things that you can draw from. 
So it was that silhouette, and then their silhouettes are different, and then I made sure each one had a different culture, a different background, yeah. and a different layer. We have the Goblin Queen, she's a Fey Witch. We have uh, the Vampire Witch. So any horror genre that we love, there could, there's a witch for that. Why was it important to you to make sure that diversity was there? Like, why didn't we just do like the classic monsters, but like classic American? I wanted diversity in it because I wanted to hit a lot of different notes. Okay. If someone comes out of the, if people come out and I ask them what was their favorite thing and they all say the exact same thing, then I failed. I want them to all say different things. Oh, I like this. I like this. I like that. Basically, I want to appeal to all these different aspects of people. And there's also, there's a bit of pop culture. Wendigo is on a pop culture up right now. So I look at pop culture, I track that. I track it what's been around too long and maybe we phase that out. With the Coven of 13, there's always infighting. So each year I kill a witch and I get to redo 13% of my show yep. because, of, because of how it's divided up. So it's, it's a great framework story but being able to hit all those different notes and sometimes a jarring transition is exactly what I want. If I put ancient Greece right next to ancient Egypt, that wouldn't be that big of a change. But if I put feudal China in between those two, then you have something to cleanse your palate and the last thing that you hit. It's all part of one story, right? You're, so how do you maintain that while also keeping that difference of tone? Part of the framework story is the Dark Hour Coven. Yes. So there are Dark Hour Coven acolytes and Dark Hour Coven characters that are the base army that are not necessarily connected okay. as heavily to any witch. Okay. They have coven duties. They have coven areas that they work through. There's also characters that we call stitch characters because they work with, with several witches. And the way a haunted house layout works, you're going to have some actors who can hit in both realms and... It's not uncommon to see a werewolf pop out of the vampire witch's area, but those two kind of work very well together. We're also doing a lot with costuming this year. I went on some haunt tours, and I saw actors at different haunts, and I could not tell you what haunt they worked at from the way they looked. And yeah. that was a message to me. I need to have an iconic look, so if you see my characters at a convention or anywhere else, you're going to know that's from Dark Hour. That's a very distinct look. Ricky Dick and Castle Blood, yep. they have a very distinct look to their characters. No yep. matter where they are in the world, or if I just run across a picture on the internet, like that's Castle Blood. Because yeah. I can tell by their iconic look. And that's okay. something that I want for us. Can you give any specific examples about how you are making your costumes iconic so they fit, but they're also totally different? We're in this process now. This isn't going to be a one-year process snap. Yeah. Everything's exactly the it's way like I a, want it. It's um, reaffirming the brand, basically. It takes yes. time. So yeah. right now what we're doing is we're working all the costumes. They have a real shreddy, ragged look. Okay. Like heavy shred, like 12 inches long and lots of layers. And there's a couple robes that I've seen that, that kind of have that look. Yeah. But a lot of it's from fantasy art. I'm doing a lot of... Like the Warhammer 40K is beautiful stuff. Yeah. But basically, everybody's in like a version of a robe. Not everybody, of course. The witches all have their own look and their own silhouette. But then everybody under them is unified in... They have a base robe-type costume 
that they might add a bag to for their character. Yeah. They might add, they might have a, a cool backpack. Theirs might have no sleeves. If you look at 10 Catholic schoolgirls, they're all in uniform, but one has a sweater tied around her waist, and yeah. one, and they all have made it look their own. One has, one has their buttons a little bit too undone. They've all made it their own by what they wear with it and accessorize with it. So we're doing that base look, and we have the base look now, I think, solid enough where we can vary the color of that yep. based off of what witch they're affiliated with. But just that robe is, is the look. Yep. And then makeup, if, it, if it's a minotaur, he's sort of in a shorter version of that robe, but he has the minotaur hands and the minotaur head and probably a big minotaur belt on. It's all about how we're accessorizing for these other characters. A lot of haunters find it easier to lean into other IP, and you're suggesting the opposite. You're suggesting invent your own baseline so that anywhere people see your stuff, any, that they know it's they you. They know it's you. And is that why? So why is it important? Is it because they know it's you? Is that... Okay, so some of the most popular horror franchises out there, Silent Hill, mm -hmm. that has a look. That has a that has a, a, a design language. Yeah. Hellraiser. That has a design language and it sticks with you. It, if you look at, at Star Wars, all the good guys are in earth tones, all the bad guys are in black and white. Like that's a that's a design language that they yep. they have through the whole series. When you look at who who is the rogue character of the Star Wars, well, why is he a rogue? Because he's wearing a black and white shirt. That tells you he's a little bit bad guy because all the bad guys are in black and white. So Han Solo is obviously a little bit bad guy, a little bit good guy. That's part of that design. It's, it's the design language of anything that's gonna do physical harm to you is tight. And anything that's gonna do spiritual harm or hurt your soul is flowy. The Grim Reaper, he's all flowy robes. If I go back to Star Wars, Luke Skywalker wasn't very strong in the, in the Force in, in Return of the Jedi, but he was good with a lightsaber. So he had that tight black outfit on, you know? Darth Vader, he's good with the force and he is good with a lightsaber. So he has this tight black armor and then a flowy cape. The Emperor, he's only good with the force. He has this flowy robe. So it's taking that. They're all doing magic. They're all doing the dark hour spell. They all have this shreddy, a little bit of flowy to them, yep. even though they're a minotaur, even though they are orcs, even though there's, there's, there's goblins. They have those elements as well but yeah. just having that base, and now nothing is just yours anymore. There's no secrets in haunting. So mm -hmm. the way that social media works, the way that it has to work, is that when you see my stuff online, when you see yeah. Dark Hour stuff online anywhere, that's Dark Hour. Isn't that what you want? I'm speaking now to haunt people. I'm not talking to the public at this point. I kind of think in some ways we've been done a little bit of a disservice by haunt vendors who think that they're doing very good because they're giving haunted attraction owners what they ask for and i'm not going to say we're not creative but yeah. we're not no group of people can be supremely creative and we're getting this cycle of the same thing over and yeah. over and over again yeah. and it, it's regurgitated and there's there's little improvements there's little changes but design wise we're a little flat i'm old when i when i started haunting haunts didn't talk and I, I, I became a haunted house genius because I went to the haunted house where their guy developed drop panels. And then I worked at another haunted house and their guy developed the, the, the kick down door scare, you know? 
So if I went to a haunted house and said, why don't we do a drop panel? Why don't we do a kick down door scare? And they had never heard of that because they didn't mix. Well, now all of that you can buy. All of that you can buy at Transworld and just get. And everybody has it. I teach people how to make masks. And I've had some people say, why are you teaching everybody how to do this? Because once we all have the tools and the knowledge, the only thing that separates us is our ideas. We are at a point in haunting where the only thing that separates us is our ideas. Because everything else is easy to get. So we have to have better ideas and different ideas and be the first one to bring that up. Yeah. And if you're the first one to bring it up and you really make it your own, then it's yours. A haunted house that is a single standalone haunt, it's only open in October and they only have one show, one main show that people go through, it is perfectly okay and fine for them to have a clown room, a Grim Reaper room, a Texas Chainsaw Beef Room, Laser Swamp, whatever, all in a row and all jumbled up together. It's when you have two shows and each one of those has to have their own identity on that same property. Or you're in a market where there's five standalone haunts. Are they all going to be the same? Then what separates you? Your ideas, your story. Yeah. And the story is 100% for us because the guests don't know it. It's for us and it helps us figure out what to do next. We have to police ourselves, not just put it in because it's cool, put it in because it helps us tell our story. What do you see as the future going forward in that? If we're all on that level and it's just going to be the ideas, is it really just going to be ideas and execution? Or are we going to see a pendulum swing in one direction? The majority of haunted houses are still going to be that. But when you step above that 25,000 customer threshold, I think you're going to take bigger risks. And I think you're going to need to craft a stronger identity. And that identity is formed through social media throughout the year, as yeah. well as obviously your show during the season. But showing the world what you have is more important now than it ever has been. Yeah. Now's not the time to keep secrets. No one should look at a haunted house's social media and say, I don't want to go there. I was like, I want to go, I want to see that. Because we know that social media is just highlights. If we're only seeing the highlights, what secrets am I missing? Yeah. Because everybody thinks they're smarter than everybody else. They think they're smarter than everybody else who's viewing that too. And if I go there, I would see things that these other people miss. Be that rich and be that detailed in what's happening and in what you're putting out. And, you know, that the people who want Easter eggs, the people who want to find secrets, that's who's following on social media. That's who's following a page, not just happens upon one of your posts. And if you can build your following by like 10, 15% a year, that's huge. That's amazing. Yeah. Build that by 10, 15% a year because that is, that's your word of mouth. We talk a lot about on the show about how the thing that we all compete for is attention. It's the attention economy. And a lot of other companies will be entering into this soon. If you're building your audience to retain them, that's hedging your bets against, yes. against other people trying to come in and disrupt that. It used to be that our competition was other things to do on the weekend. Are they gonna to go to the movies? Are they gonna to go to a football game? Are they gonna to go to something else? Now we have to convince them to leave their home because their, their house, their device, and Netflix and Amazon Prime movies. TikTok, and, yeah. and, and honestly, who hasn't lost just an hour scrolling mm -hmm. Instagram Reels or TikTok? That's an hour that they should yes. have been getting ready to go and now it's too late. They might as well stay home and watch a horror movie instead of going to your haunted house. Mm -hmm. We're competing with them staying at home. Yeah. And you better have a good lure and good bait. Yeah. And, and good super fans, as, as well as I would say, to, yes. to your point, you're building your followership 
10, 15%, if you can convert a percentage of that into super fans. Well, because if they, if they see on that other people going to your show, Yes. and reporting a good time and that it was something different, then that's yeah. that's a huge positive. And yeah. I think that you're more likely to get your average baseline consumer out. Yeah. There's just two things I want to wrap up on here. You talked about how the guests don't necessarily know your story, but we also talk about a little bit about the importance of making sure that you give them that information. Can you give examples of how you are conveying the story of your attraction to guests here and then beyond the physical experience? So the very first set that they enter is actually a portrait gallery of all 13 witches. So I, we kind of shove it down their throat. <laughs> we did an animation where we have drawings of all the, the witches and we animated it to, to tell them and that plays for the cue. Yeah. So they, they see all of our witches before they come in. We sell posters of the witches in the gift shop cementing them as icon branded characters. Of course, what we do on social media, we do Witch of the Week, you know, leading okay. up to October. So you learn about you learn about the Goblin Queen and the Goblin Queen is actually in the Fey realm. She's not really in this world. And you know, who you're going to see with her, you're going to see dark fairies, you're going to see goblins, and you're going to see giants. Okay. Those are all the people that she brings in to the to the Dark Hour army. And are you making like videos with that character to explain we don't necessarily have them narrate their own stuff, but we, we do a video for each, each one. Which kind of has like a one minute or two minute like right. commercial story almost. Okay. And that's all social media based. Yep. A little bit on the website, but I don't want to mud up the website. The website is, you can delve a little bit, but I want you there to buy a ticket because the website is money and story is social media. Like I don't have characters in my ticket booth. That's money. Yeah. Story is the haunted house. Tell me a little bit about what you have planned for this 2022 season. Okay, so this year we actually, we used to have two attractions. We had a much smaller attraction and you always went through the big attraction first, then you went through the small attraction. That's how it is at most shows mm -hmm. who have a, a secondary attraction. The problem is the smaller show normally doesn't have, leave as good a taste in your mouth as the big show. We just did away with that. So now you come through Dark Hours one show and you're going through the whole thing. And now instead of an awesome 20 minute, 20, 25 minute experience and a 15 minute experience, it's an awesome 35 minutes. That's cool. And that, that's what I'm going for. I want you to have that good taste in your mouth when you leave. So, but that allows us to tell the story of in the whole expansion, which is 20% larger for the show. It's a significant chunk. We're, we're adding the Witch of Swarms, Korva Hive which is an ancient Egypt feel, but she has a control of all these different types of animals that swarm up and group together. And then Annabelle Noir, who is very pre-Salem witch trials, American colonial witch. A lot of flavors from the movie The Witch and, and just from classic witchness. And the last thing we didn't touch on yet is the technology. We have an amazing technological infrastructure. Our whole building, we're blessed with 20-foot ceilings and we have lots of big Source 4 lights. Every light in the show is actually color mixing DMX that we can control the flicker, we can control, and we have seven DMX universes total. Five of them are in the show, and one of them is our lobby and one of them is our stage. And our stage is another thing that a lot of folks don't have a great entry stage. We're able to tell stories there. We have a video wall there. Our video wall, it really sets people up and get some prime for the story of Dark Hour. And then inside, 
every speaker is controlled digitally. We can send any sound we want to any speaker. When we change for an event, we have a big change just by changing all the lights and all the sound, and that's that's digital. There's a little bit of refocusing and things, but yeah, we can we can make a big change from a Christmas show to a Valentine's show just in lights and sound. If we're really busy and people are taking too long to go through, and I can bump up all the hallway lights 10% and they travel through a little faster, then I'm using that to help control my flow. Why else would you say the DMX is important? We do a lot of buttons for the actors so that yeah. they it, it changes the lights and sounds in the room and gives the actors a little bit more power uh, over that level of interaction. but. In all honesty, the season changes. I don't want the same volume level on the first weekend that I need on the fourth weekend because yeah. I don't have 6,000 bodies coming through. Yeah. So like that changes sound. Yeah. So I want to bring those levels down a little bit and then make them a little louder and change that intensity. And lighting is the same thing. I don't necessarily want the same lighting profile. Our eyes are on a clock yes. because our eyes know sun up and sundown. So we're not gonna get nighttime eyes until like nine o'clock. So beginning of our season, it's daytime, it's daylight out for the first two hours we're open. It has to be a little bit brighter because those eyes haven't adjusted. Yeah. So that's an adjustment that you can make with DMX yeah. that would be a lot harder without it. And scene transitions too, same thing like adjusting eyes and adjusting stuff between scenes. Oh, absolutely, just, just the ability to blind them a little bit yes. before they go into a section if you mm -hmm. want them to see less and allowing them to go through dim before you want them to, to yeah. see more in a set. You do use Gantam fixtures in the haunt, right? Of course we use Gantam fixtures. <laughs> Perfect. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts, videos, and events in our 61-day Hauntathon. Follow along at the link in our show notes. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, HorrorBuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at HauntedAttractionNetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.